This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. And go for Mike Slater in 3, 2, 1. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Saturday's America's the greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here. I hope you're having a great Saturday. So last point on uh, on Milo, but again, it's not really uh, about Milo. I think this is the, the clearest articulation of where most conservatives fit when it comes to fighting the machine. Well, first of all, we got to define that. What is the machine? I think the machine is the control, the influence, the size and power that progressives have in our culture. There's a, oh gosh, who owns this blog? Uh, the Ringer. It's called The Ringer. It's a sports blog. Um, I forget his name. It'll come to me in a second. Um, there's a post on that blog about how sports writing has become a liberal profession. My brother, about six months ago, swore off ESPN because of all of its social justiness. And so, and not in like a, I'm boycotting it kind of way. Just like, what the heck is going on? What did, I, go to the, I go to the website for the score of the Yankees game, and I'm reading about some transgendered tennis player or something. Like, what, what is happening? I was on Deadspin just like a week or so ago. And Deadspin used to be a sports blog. And the first story was... An interview that Tucker Carlson did with some Washington Post writer, and they were talking about how Tucker Carlson's the devil or something. Like, this is a sports blog. What the heck is going on? Right? So, I don't even know. Like, what's so weird about the sports writing thing is your audience is mostly conservative. So, what are you doing with the social justiness everywhere? So, the point is that even in sports, progressives run pop culture. On this day before the Oscars, you'll see more of that. I doubt there's going to be many people getting up there talking about conservative principles. So how do conservatives combat this? There's three ways. Reason with the machine, replace the machine, or rage against the machine. So let's break down each of these. So the first one's reason with the machine. So these are conservatives who join these elite institutions, who join the machine uh, usually either at universities, you'll have a couple token professors or, or, uh, different media spaces. Uh, let me quote David French who came up with these, these three categories. He says, if you, if you want to join the machine or excuse me, reason with the machine, then the path is narrow and few can walk down that road. 
And there's this delicate dance where you need to express yourself enough to maintain your voice, but not so much that you trigger an overwhelming eternal internal backlash. So I think an example of this would be uh, someone who I admire and I like very much, Hugh Hewitt. All right, Hugh Hewitt, conservative, strong conservative on CNN. He's like the token conservative on CNN. All right, so he's trying to reason with the machine. He's inside it doing the best he can to maintain a voice, but not be too crazy, right? Too conservative. You're going to get kicked out. So he's, he's within it trying to reason with the machine. Okay, That's number one. Then you got uh, conservatives who try to replace the machine. So this is when you create a parallel institution to the machine. So uh, the blaze is a perfect example of that, right? Glenn's like, I'm out. I'm going to make up my own, right? So we have the blaze radio TV blaze.com. All of that is a perfect example of replacing the machine. You also see a lot more Christian filmmaking and it's getting better and better every single year, higher quality and all the rest. And that's to, it's not operating in the Hollywood world. It's, it's operating parallel to it. So it's seeking to replace the machine. Third category, you have rage against the machine. And I'll quote from Mr. French. This is the folk hero, right? It lives, eats and breathes pure defiance. It picks fights with the left for the purpose of creating a predictable overreaction, and then it uses that overreaction to prove its critique. Its lifeblood is its fighting spirit. Its oxygen is liberal fury. This is Milo's world. This is Ann Coulter's world. And yes, this is Donald Trump's world. Now, if you want to live in the rage against the machine world, it's a pretty simple process. So first you use the uh, replace the machine institutions to gain a following. Right? So you got your own little bit of following and then it grows and grows and it's big enough where the mainstream media takes notice. So they'll do a story on you. So let's just use Milo as an example. So Milo, let's say for every 10 people who hear Milo talk, nine of them are totally completely outraged and think he's the worst person in the world. And one person's like, hmm, that, I like this. This makes sense or I like him or whatever. When he goes on ABC News or even Fox News, but even like more mainstream, 100,000 people may watch him. And yeah, 90,000 may be like, he's the worst person in the world. But 10,000 are like, I love this guy. So he gains more followers and keeps doing more outrageous things and then speaks on college campuses and the very people he's criticizing burn it to the ground, right? So if you keep doing that cycle over and over again, pretty soon you got your own industry. You've got your own brand that you've created. So that's rage against the machine. That's how that works. Now, all three are... are needed in varying degrees right you kind of they all got their i'll I'll put it like this they all have their pluses and minuses so minuses are if you're in the reason with the machine so if you're in the hugh hewitt world then uh at least on in cnn you're just a drop in the ocean And, and, and you can become overcome with futility and despair if you're replacing the machine well we tend to get the polarizing things, right? You tend to get progressives who go to Huffington Post, you get conservatives who go to the blaze and no one's really talking to each other. That can be a problem with the replacing the machine. And then the rage against the machine, it turns into hucksterism and shock for the sake of shock and stuff like that. This is where you get headlines. And it's not just conservatives doing this too. I guess you get people like, uh, you know, uh, what's his name? John Oliver or whatever, right? Like, that's where you get headlines like John Oliver utterly destroys Trump. It's like stuff like that. It's like I've, I've stopped clicking on any headline that has the word destroys in it. 
I said, I have no interest in anything that just anyone or anything that destroys another person or thing. Like, I, like what is that? And it's always disappointing, right? It's just stupid clickbait. The daughter utterly destroys, completely destroys. Come on. So David French ends with this. He says, conservatives need to fight, but we must fight with honor to advance honorable goals. Otherwise, the culture war will be fought over ruins. With cultural rubble, the victor's only spoils. So if we do the win at all costs, burn it to the ground uh, for culture, then, yeah, we win maybe at the end, but win what? Now, I want to add a fourth. The fourth option. So what do we got? We got reason with machine replace the machine rage against the machine uh now i don't have an r one for this but i'm gonna go with abort the machine abort it i'm out i quit friend of mine actually i think this is the guy who introduced me to milo yiannopoulos for the first time a year or so ago hey slater you ever heard of this guy this is what he he texted me he texted me a like five texts this long right so he's gonna be like a whole thing but it ends with this he says, it's very interesting to me how everyone, including myself, reacted. Right? This is about the whole Milo controversy. This, I think, is another example of how we react quickly and rationalize after. Right? He was talking about the segments we've done before where we come to judgments this fast, and then everything from that point forward, we just try to prove ourselves right. That's how we all work. Anyway, this is why I want to unplug from it all more and more. I don't want to find myself supporting someone I shouldn't. For all I know, Milo has assaulted someone or he's a victim with deep scars. I don't know. I need to unplug and focus on my own planks. I really hope that in three months, I don't know what Milo is doing or the latest Lena Dunham outrage or whatever else it is. I love that. I think that's the best reaction to this. Abort the machine. I'm out. I'm not, I'm not doing Fight the culture war, the idea war. You know, the, the loving your neighbor ward. Do all that one person at a time. I, I don't even know if the machine is necessary. I, I don't know. I'm trying to figure this out. I just know I'm out. I'm done. Sort of like I'm done with like, John Oliver destroys. Like, no, no, stop. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm done with the whole thing. I'm out. I don't want to know what Milo's doing. I don't know what I want to know what Lena Dunham outrage. I don't, I don't care what Beyonce's latest thing is. I'm out. You're going to hear tonight or tomorrow night the the Oscars and someone's going to say this and the other person. I'm just, I, I don't care. I'm out. Abort the machine. 1-888-900-3393. It's just exhausting and, and doesn't matter. 1-888-900-3393. I want to tell a story coming up next about, um, about our human nature, especially for people who who uh, have characterized themselves and their group and their movement uh, of caring and compassion. Uh, And then one thing changes and then suddenly they're not that anymore. And this is just our human nature. We'll talk about that next Slater radio on Twitter. Mike Slater. So the blaze radio network spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the blaze radio network.
Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline, a licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Later. So, so this is a, uh, a nice story of human nature. It's actually a terrible story of human nature, but it's a good example of human nature. So Candace Wiggins, have you ever heard of this name before? She uh, went to high school. She grew up here in San Diego. Um, number three pick out of Stanford, 2008, uh, to the WNBA. She won a championship with the Minnesota team, which everyone knows is called the Lynx, the Minnesota Lynx. So she was just inducted this the other day in the uh, San Diego Hall of Champions. And this is what she said. She said, it wasn't like my dreams came true in the WNBA. It wasn't, wasn't like my dreams came true in the WNBA. It was quite the opposite. She said she was attacked and harassed from day one of joining the league. Why? Quote, me being heterosexual and straight and being vocal in my identity as a straight woman was huge. I would say 98% of the women in the WNBA are gay women. It was a conformist type of place. There was a whole different set of rules that the other players could apply. Huh. So she got attacked, ridiculed, mocked for being straight. Remember that. I'll get back to it in a second. I want to read this article here. This is from uh, this is in the New York Post. A gay man wrote it. He wrote an article about or, or, uh, in Out Magazine about Milo. Milo keeps coming up today. It was a straight down the middle article. It wasn't positive. wasn't negative. No stance. Just here he is. Here's Milo. This is an expose about him. And he said when he wrote it, there was a massive backlash against him. He said, quote, after the story posted online, I woke up to more than 100 Twitter notifications on my iPhone. Trolls were calling me a Nazi. Death threats rolled in. And a joke photo, but it doesn't matter. Most concerningly, disconcertingly, it wasn't just strangers voicing radical discontent. Personal friends of mine, men in their 60s, who had been my longtime mentors, were coming at me. They wrote on Facebook that the story was irresponsible and dangerous. A dozen or so people unfriended me. So I laid low for a week or so. Finally, I decided to go out to my local gay bar in Williamsburg, uh, where I've been a regular for 11 years. I ordered a drink, but nothing felt the same. Half the place, people with whom I've shared many laughs, seemed to be giving me the cold shoulder. Upon seeing me, a friend who normally greets me with a hug and a kiss pivoted and turned away. Frostiness spread far beyond the bar, too. My best friend, 
with whom I typically hung out with multiple times per week, was suddenly perpetually unavailable. Finally, on Christmas Eve, he sent me a long text calling me a monster, asking where my heart and soul went, and saying that all of our other friends are laughing at me. I realized for the first time in my adult life, I was outside of the liberal bubble and looking in. What I saw was ugly. Lockstep, incurious and mean-spirited. So he goes on to say that because of that, he started listening to more conservative positions on issues and it's all making more sense to him now. And he wrote the article because he's hoping that New Yorkers can be as open-minded about his new status as a conservative as New Yorkers were about his sexual orientation. Unlikely. And, and here's why. Humans, or more accurately, packs of humans, bond together and, I don't want to say rebel, that's not the right word, uh, Packs of humans join together and attack other packs of humans. It's just how it goes. <laughs> always has, always will. So take a uh, minority group, right? A group of victims. We'll say gay women. Now, when they're the minority, they uh, present themselves as loving, compar- uh, loving, uh, caring compassionate victims victims of the sexist bigots of society that's when they're the minority victims but then when they join together in the WNBA and they find themselves in the majority they're not so loving caring or compassionate anymore towards other people who are different towards people who are now in the minority interesting Does that make sense? See how the, the, the dynamics change there? Right? So let's just, let's just take one, one gay woman in the WNBA. Goes her whole life. Minority, victim, attacked, abused, harassed, criticized, made out to be an, an other because of her uh, sexual orientation. Goes to the WNBA, suddenly finds herself in the majority now. So all these people who lived that exact same life are now the majority and they find Candace Wiggins, who is straight, and they attack, ridicule, mock, abuse her. Well, hold on. I thought when, when you were the victim, you were so caring, compassionate, loving, why can't we all get along, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And now suddenly you're in the majority, and now you're just as bad as the other majority that you criticized when you were in the minority. See how that works? Inside us all is a, a dark place. And inside that dark place is a desire to attack people in different groups. The thing is, we don't until we outnumber them. So you have gay women who have been othered their entire life, but when they're in the majority now, then they can attack the minority. Same with gay people in New York, right? Gay people have been out, they've been othered their entire life. But once they're in the majority, and now they're in this case, obviously, gay people are not the majority. Gay people are about 2% of the population, but, you know, in their group, right? In that gay bar or whatever, right? There's a safe place where they feel more powerful. Now they're the pack and they other a different minority. In this case, a conservative guy, right? It's in all of us. No one's above it. 
no group of people is holier than thou. There's no, oh, it's only, and no, no group of person, people are worse than others either, right? It's just humans. If anything, I do think it shows how similar we all are, that we would all, if we were, if we're in the minority, we are all capable of being victims. And if we are in the majority, we're all capable of being the victimizers. It's the story of Matthew 18. Right, servant owed a, whatever it doesn't say exactly, but a million dollars to the king. Right, and the king wants the money. The king says, "Hey, where's my money? You got to give it to me." And the servant's like, "I don't have a million bucks." So the king, all right, he's like, all right, "I forgive you, I forgive your debt. You're free to go. It's all good." So the servant gets home, and turns out there's someone there who owes him a thousand bucks. And the servant's like, "Oh, you owe me the money. Give me the money right now." And the guy's like, "I can't pay." He's like, "Oh, you're a horrible person." Throws him in jail, debtor's prison, all the rest, and uh, you know, beats him until he gives him the money back. And then the king calls that guy back in and says, "Dude, what's the deal?" I forgave you a million dollars in debt. You owed me a million bucks. And then you go and, and I forgive you of that. And then you go and you, this other guy owes you a thousand bucks and you don't forgive him that? You don't extend that mercy to, to someone else? What the heck is wrong with you? So the king throws him in jail until he can pay back the million bucks. You would think people who have been othered and victimized would show extra compassion to different groups of people. But that's just not how humans work. Uh, unless, unless you're aware of it and can rise above it. Tabitha just sent me a tweet, tribal mentality. That's exactly what that is. And the only way to overcome it is to, well, honestly, find similarities between you and the other people. I don't just focus on the other thing, but we're supposed to only focus on our diversity and things that make us different. But you find things that you have in common with other people, focus on those, and then be aware of our tribal disorders that are in each of us. And rise above it. No good comes from it. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, how are you? Um, I have we. I, I don't. I, I apologize. I should have gotten an update on this story before I, uh, I first saw it a couple days ago because it can't be real. I might have. Uh, should probably do a little update on this one. So this is out of Massachusetts. An elementary school started High Five Friday. Did you hear this High Five Friday? It sounds like fun. Got a couple of police officers standing out front of the school outside of the front door. I've seen a couple of pictures. And some are in uniform. One guy's, one of the officers is wearing khaki pants and a jacket, right? So it's all pretty low key. And they're standing out the side of the front door, and, and the elementary school kids walk in and they give a high five to each other. High five Friday. Started in December. Seems pretty cool. Well, they canceled it. They canceled it because uh, parents, which means, usually means one parent complained so they had a school meeting and then they had a public meeting and according to the police chief quote people were uh, specifically concerned about kids of color undocumented children or any children who may have had negative experiences with the police so they canceled the program so hold on though as, as i'm reading this again 
People were specifically concerned about kids of color and undocumented children. That to me, and maybe this is just worded improperly. I don't know. I wasn't at the meeting. But that to me says, that's like, that's, this, is, this seems like virtue signaling. It'd be one thing if a black parent said, my kid is scared of police officers and this is bad. This program is bad. Or my kid, I, I'm an illegal immigrant or whatever, and my kids don't. It's not that, but it seems like it's like probably white parents being like, whoa, whoa, police officers, pretty sure black kids are going to be scared of them. Pretty sure undocumented kids are going to be scared of these police officers. We better not have them, right? This sounds like one giant exercise in virtue signaling. The point of the program, parents, is to have positive interactions with the police. So if there have been negative stereotypes passed down to these kids, or if if there were negative interactions in the past, the idea of High Five Friday is for the kids to grow up saying, oh, yeah, I know, uh, I know, Officer Joe. I see him every Friday. He always smiles at me, gives me a high five, right? It's to improve interactions between uh, police and the people in the town. So don't impose on these kids your own deficiencies, your own wounds, your own problems. Help these kids and the current police department grow stronger together. I want to play this clip here. This is uh, an interview that was done a couple of years ago with James Earl Jones. So this is a clip of uh, James Earl Jones on the Tavis Smiley Show. Um, they're talking about the Tea Party. So this must have been around 2008, 2009. And they're talking about how racist the Tea Party is. So look past that part um, and, and we'll analyze this clip right here. 1384. Ought to be one mm. my, by my grandmother. My grandmother was part... Chuck. Absolutely. I think I figured out uh, the Tea Party. I, I, I think I, I, I do understand racism because I was taught to be one mm. my, by my grandmother. My grandmother was part Cherokee Indian, part black. She hated everybody. Mm. She taught all of her children and grandchildren to be racist, to hate white people, mm. and to distrust black people. Well, who, for, who did she love then? Nobody. Nobody at all. But but uh, that allowed me to figure it out for myself. Oh. And I think I, I, I know what racism is better than anybody who's ever been oh. a racist. And, and- hmm. Different interview on BBC. He said, I'd go to school with white kids and Indian kids. I knew they weren't the devils that my grandma said they were. I had to start thinking for myself. And I had to start understanding the extent to which she was right too. But now I can live in the shoes of racists. When I hear about racists, I know exactly what they're feeling. And I'll say, I'm going to allow myself to feel that just for the heck of it. So I know what they're going through. I wonder how many people like James Earl Jones's uh, grandma are raising their kids to have the same racist ideas that, that they had. This is how, and this could be racist, could be white parents, Teaching about how race, you know, how terrible black people are. This can be black people telling their kids how terrible the police are, whatever. This is how trauma works, and this is why we talked so frequently recently about how to change people's mind, right? So let's say you meet someone who hates police, just has this this was just intense hatred of police officers. It's for a reason. There's a reason. Either they had a bad experience, or 
someone they know had a bad experience and they heard stories. There's like some reason why they hate police and they've, they've had that, they took that bad experience and they just projected it on all police officers. But I think the worst thing of all is to then take that and teach that to your kids. So the hatred just then continues on, even when it's completely unfounded. It's high five Friday for the love of Pete. So here we have parents teaching kids to hate police officers at their school. And now the kids are like, well, where are the police officers? Oh, well, kids, you know, <laughs> you know, they, they have to go through this whole thing. Well, if you're black or if you're undocumented, if you're an illegal immigrant ch- child, then, then you're scared of police. And the kids are like, are we? Yes, you have. You should be. All right, so we have parents projecting their own fears of police officers on their kids. Like, what a shame. What the heck is going on? All right, I want to segue from that into this because I think these two things are related. Victor David Hansen, Davis Hansen, um, one of my one of my favorite commentators. He's a professor at uh, Stanford now, I think. He wrote an article the other day about how identity politics is on its way out. So we're reaching the end of identity politics, and of course, this is what the left traffics in right now. Right, so this is uh, the idea of the black vote, right, and the Hispanic vote and the gay vote, identity politics. You must vote for this person. Or, you know, it's, this is a Madeleine Albright for the love of Pete saying at a Clinton rally, "There's a special place in hell for women who don't support other women, essentially who don't vote for Hillary Clinton. Special place in hell, right? So you have to vote for Hillary because you're a woman. That that whole thing. So he says identity politics is going away. Why? A couple of reasons. Uh, I'll focus on three. First, intermarriage and and, uh, integration. 15% of all marriages are interracial. Do you know that? 15%. And the rates are highest for Asians and Latinos. 40% of Asian women marry someone from a different race. 40%. 25% of black men do. And 25% of all Latinos. So give a couple more years of this, generation or two most, like there is no more racial solidarity, right? I mean, what, what does that mean? It's it's racial solidarity is a lot harder when people are of mixed or a mixture of races, right? Like, or what does it mean to be black anymore? What does it mean to be Hispanic? What does it mean to be Asian? Like after a while, nothing. <laughs> We're all just whatever. It doesn't even. There is no racial groups like that anymore so that's number one uh number two even among groups cubans and mexicans don't have a lot in common right you take a cuban person and a mexican like why why would why would they have anything in common i mean like really think about that for a second why if you take someone from mexico someone someone first generation in america right uh, so they're from Mexico. They come to America, give birth, right? There you have an American kid. Same thing. Cuban American or Cuban person comes to Mexico, has a kid, Ted Cruz, right? Those two kids, one whose family's from Mexico, one's from Cuban, Cuba. What, like, what do they, what do their, what do their Hispanicness have in common? Hispanic only means that the, the country they come from, they speak Spanish. So that's it. That's all they, so why, like Hispanics, the Hispanic vote, like what? Hmong Americans, what do they have in common with Japanese Americans? 
Nothing. So these broad ethnic identities, they don't even make sense. And the more that just more time goes on, the less and less sense it will ever make. And then eventually it just won't even be a thing anymore. Like the German vote, right? That's not a thing anymore. It used to be the German vote. So I'm half German, I guess, and Irish and something. I don't know. But mostly German. Our name used to be Schrader. Uh, before the uh, whatever great 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 grandparents came to America, Schrader. So there's no German vote anymore. And I think after a while there won't be a, a Hispanic vote. There won't, there is there already isn't an Asian vote. That's not a thing, for different reasons that we could talk about another day. But there's no. I don't think there'll be a, Span, a Hispanic vote much longer. It doesn't make any sense. And then if Victor Davis Hanson's right, a couple more generations, and there won't even be a black vote anymore because that won't even make any sense. But here's the, I got to take a break here. I'll come back with the third one. The third one's the big one for me. I think this is the one that makes the, uh, the biggest difference. Again, why identity politics? No, this won't be tomorrow. There'll be a few more elections where it's still a thing, but not forever. I don't think it'll be here uh, to stay. And that's a good thing. one 888 I'll give you the third reason why next. Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On The Blaze Radio Network. Part of the next generation of talk radio, this is Mike Slater. Slater, because I was talking about why identity politics won't be around for much longer. I don't know. I don't know when this ends, but a generation max, like one full generation. I don't even know what a generation is. What's that? Like 15 years, 20 years. I think that's probably about right. So Victor Davis Hanson, Professor Hanson gives a couple reasons. I like these three. First, the amount of intermarriage going on right now. Uh, about 15% of all marriages are interracial. So after a while, like, what does it even mean to be like, are you Hispanic? Are you a, like, what does that doesn't mean? Anything. Second people within the Hispanic group don't like, what do they have in common? And even like black, like if you're from Africa or from the Caribbean or from Atlanta, like what, just cause your skin color is black, you're black, the black vote, like the, the whole thing's stupid. And I think people will wise up to it after a while, but here's the big one. Privilege, the key progressive word of the uh, last year or so privilege. Isn't about race anymore. It's not, uh, Will Smith's kids have more privilege than a white kid from West Virginia, Right. You're going to see black people at the Oscars tonight. Their children, they and their children are more privileged than most anyone watching the Oscars. Privilege doesn't cut across racial lines. It's class lines. That's the bigger dividing factor. And it's funny that we're still, and this is why, again, why I think it's this whole identity politics thing is on its way out. Because there's such a focus on class these days, right? Income inequality and all that stuff. I think eventually people are just going to cling to this one more. Now, I don't think this is appropriate either. There's no, let let me finish this thought. We'll come back around. So let me quote professor Hansen. When activist Michael Eric Dyson calls for blanket reparations for slavery, his argument does not resonate 
with an unemployed working class youth from Kentucky who was born more than 30 years after the emergence of affirmative action and enjoys a fraction of Dyson's own income, net worth, and cultural opportunities. I was listening to the Adam Carolla podcast a while ago. It was right after the election. And there was a guy, I forget his name. He's from PBS. He has a couple shows, podcasts, lives in New York City. His wife was like the, is, is the vice mayor of Oakland or something like pretty high up, like entertainment, politics, like they're pretty privileged. And they're talking about how, you know, difficult life is for black people in America, whatever. And it's like, dude, your kids have way more privilege than my kids because of the positions of authority and and that, that you're in and power that you're in right now. So I don't know how much longer a politician can hang their hat on identity politics when identities are becoming more and more fractured and people just don't identify with large groups anymore. And then of course the bigger thing, like I said, is, is class, your income. If you're a, a kid in an upper class black family, you're supposed to identify politically with a black person in Compton. Like why, what do you, why, 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 why would why would you just like that the skin, just because you have the same skin color? Like who, you're not totally different worlds. So the whole thing's silly, and I think people are just gonna. I think they're just gonna wise up after a while. Let's hope anyway. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Slater Radio on Twitter. I want to come back, and I got a really good example here of people hallucinating. And making stuff up and coming up with their own reality. Had a really fascinating call on my local show the other day. And someone said, Slater, you know, Democrats, Republicans, conservatives, progressives, we don't even agree on the same core principles anymore. And you've maybe thought that before or heard that before. And that's totally true. But I want to go another step further. I don't even think we agree on reality anymore. We can't even agree on this on the same thing in front of us, whether this is real or like what what this is. So forget about agreeing on core principles. Forget about policy. We're never going to agree on policy. If we can't even agree on the very first, most simple, basic, fundamental step, and that is reality. (laughs) So why can't we agree on reality? And it's because people just make stuff up all the time. People make up their own reality. And I don't mean, I'm not even talking about the media. I'm talking about ourselves and our brains. We make up our own reality. We tell ourselves stories about what's really going on. Why? How? We'll talk about that next. Mike Slater, so the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.